Most of you in here drive a vehicle, correct? You drive? How many of you know what a horn is? You know what a horn is? How many of you have ever used that horn in your vehicle? Typically, um, and even if you don't drive kids, uh, you've seen maybe your parents do this. Um, you're driving along and, and you see someone that you know. And you honk the horn and you wave, right? Hey, how you doing? But did you know that sometimes we honk that horn because we want the attention of the driver to say, hey, won't you please pay attention? Or we might do something like this. Pay attention. Watch where you're going. Because we want them to pay attention to what they're doing. And oftentimes in life, we're distracted. And this morning, we want to talk about paying attention and specifically to the Word of God. I want you to take your Bibles and go back with me to 2 Peter. You remember that book? 2 Peter. Our theme this morning and next week is pay attention. And it has direct correlation or ties to the Word of God that we need to pay attention to God's Word because it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And so I have for you a question I want you to consider over these next two weeks as we do this little mini-series on why we should pay attention to God's Word. The question is, why should we? That's what happens in verse 19 of 2 Peter. You're taken up to the point where Peter tells his audience, you need to pay attention to the Word. And so the question becomes, why? You know, why should they? Translated for us today, why should we pay attention to God's Word? Well, how did we end up to this particular question? Well, if you remember 2 Peter... Um, if you were to give it an overall, I guess, um, theme, it is this. Grow in Christ because he's coming. Grow in Christ. Now listen to me. Grow in Christ, Peter says, because he's coming. And he says both of those things with great confidence in this book. Grow in Christ because he's coming. Is that your theme? Grow in Christ because he's coming. And by the way, we don't know when he's coming. So how's he going to find us when he comes? So Peter writes to these believers who are being scoffed at because of the coming of Christ. And he says, grow in Christ because he's coming. You remember also the commitment level of Peter. Peter had a tremendous commitment to these believers. He wanted them to grow in Christ. He wanted them to deepen their relationship with the Lord. And he tells them how to do that in chapter 1. He says, this is how you do it. Supply in your faith, moral excellence, and your moral excellence, knowledge. And your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And he says, in your perseverance, supply godliness. And that's the relationship with the Lord. And then he said, in your godliness, supply what? Brotherly kindness, that's relationships with one another. And then he says, 
and your brotherly kindness supply what? Love, and that's love for the world. That's love for people who don't know Christ. And then he tells them, hey, look, this is my commitment to you. He knew that his death was imminent because the Lord had told him so. And he reminded those guys that up to his death, he would be faithful to remind them of the things that they needed to know about Christ. And then, verse 16 is a transition. Because he's just talked about the importance of growth. He's talked about his commitment as a brother to encourage them. But then verse 16, he tells them the foundation. He begins to build on that foundation. And he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales. In other words, we didn't follow myths. This Christianity thing, we were following a person. Boy, that... that needs to be preached today there's a side note it's not religion it's relationship it's Christ he said we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because remember these believers were being scoffed at because of their belief in the coming of Christ and Peter says hey look we didn't follow myths We didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of what? His majesty. We saw tomorrow's paper. We saw the glory of Christ as he will be in his kingdom on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw him. And then, not only did we see him, but as that was taking place, remember what Peter said, When he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter says, we saw him in his glory. We heard on that mountain, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. An experience that his readers did not have. What an experience for Peter, James, and John to see the glory of Christ as he would be in his kingdom. But what about these readers? What do they have? Glad you asked. Verse 19, so Peter says to them, we have, not only we meaning Peter, James, and John, but you. We have the prophetic word, more sure. And in the Greek, it reads this way. We have more sure, the more sure prophetic word. So the emphasis is on the word. We have the more sure prophetic word. Now notice the next phrase. To which you do well to do what? To which you do well to do what? Pay attention. When I was in school, in elementary school, I had two teachers that helped you pay attention. I had one that would pinch your ear. And she had these fingernails that were like that long, right? Like a fish story, right? The fish was that big. The fingernails were that big. And she would come up, and if you weren't paying attention, she would take those fingernails and just put them right there in your ear. Buddy, you were paying attention. And then we had another teacher. Boy, you think about how this would be accepted in today's culture. We had another teacher. She'd come take a little, like a little paddle like that. She'd slap our hand. 
Man, teachers would be arrested today, wouldn't they? Oh, by the way, it hurt none of us that are adults in here growing with gray hair, right? No hair. It was good to be disciplined. Might I just say on a side note, parents, it's okay to discipline your children because the Lord says it's okay. It's not okay not to discipline. All right, side story. All right. So Peter is wanting these believers to pay attention to the word. He's just told them, hey, look, my death is imminent. What I've experienced, you didn't experience, but what we have is the same. We have the more sure prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention. And so that's where we want to focus our, our attention over the next couple of weeks. And so we need to define that word, right? Because we might have our our um, understanding of it, but what does the word mean in the original language? The word pay attention means to hold the mind or ear towards something or someone. Um, it's a good idea, husbands, when your wife is talking, that you do what? Listen. I've been married almost 33 years it's a really good idea that when my wife begins to talk to me, I listen. I'm not innocent. There are times when Teresa, believe it or not, she'll be talking to me, and I'm looking at her, but I'm not listening. Well, the idea of this term is that the person would hold their mind to the word. Hold their ear to the word. It reminds you, when Jesus was teaching parables, a lot of times he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. You remember in the book of the Revelation to the seven churches, what does it have at, at the end of those letters to the seven churches? He who has what? An ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, if it's important for the churches, we're part of the church. We need to hear what the Lord says to us. We need to hold our mind to the Word of God. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures. Um, one is in Ezra. I thought I'd give you an Old Testament example. Ezra, the book of Ezra. It says, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. So if you're devoting yourself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and you're Ezra, what are you doing? Your mind is what? Thinking on and dwelling on the word in order to do what? To teach. To teach. Young people, are you paying attention to me today? Listen, there's a bunch of us old Christians who could tell you this, that the journey to hear the Lord and the journey to be devoted with our minds to the Word, it's lifelong. You don't just open your Bible up one day and go, well, I'm mature, I'm good, good to go. We need the intake of God's word every single day. Because young people, I'm going to tell you something. The world has a lot of messages for you to listen to. A lot of messages that don't come from God. 
But God's got something here for you because he loves you. He wants you to focus your mind on his word. And that's the idea of the word pay attention. Ezra had that. The early church had that. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Continually devoted. The word there means habitually devoted. It was a lifestyle. Um, I often thought that if the only time that one is taking in the word of God is on a Sunday morning, how good is that? Right? How, how good is that? Don't I need more than just Sunday morning when Thad says, or the pastor says, or some other teacher says, open your Bible? I mean, I think that it's going to take investment on our part. It's going to take a discipline on our part. Ezra had that. The early church had that. Do you have that? Right? That's a good question for us to think about. I like what um, C.H. Spurgeon says about this. He says it must be our plan, our plan to keep the word of the Lord much upon our minds. Only by daily communion with the Lord, by his word, can we hope to learn his way. I mean, how many times, let's, let's illustrate that. How many times have you been asked by someone, what does God say about this? How many times have you asked someone, what does God say about this? Oftentimes the question comes, well, what do you think? What do you think? That's the question that often comes. Hey, Thad, what do you think? We'll just throw out some names. Hey, Paul, what do you think? Hey, Scott, what do you think? Hey, Kevin, what do you think? Hey, Teresa, what do you think? Hey, Carol, what do you think? When people ask me what I think, I'll give them the answer. This is what I think. But this is what God says. You know, I'm concerned that, and this is just a, for the sake of illustration, I'm concerned that husbands pay attention to the word. Can I illustrate this? Because I see it as a problem in our culture today. I think there are a lot of homes today where the husband is not the head just not happening he's not the head of his home and you see it don't you are you with me it's true it happens there are a lot of passive husbands God did not give us permission to be passive as husbands he says you be the head of the home So it must be our plan, as Spurgeon says, to keep the word of the Lord much upon our minds. I like the way he ends that, to learn his way. There is absolutely no way we can know what God's will is about anything unless we're in the book. Got to be in the book. So we come back to the context of 2 Peter as he writes to them, why should they pay attention to the word? Why should we pay attention to the word? And the first answer is this. 
The word provides guidance. Look at verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word more sure, or we have the more sure prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining. What does a lamp do? A lamp illuminates, right? And that's the, that's the point here. He's talking about illumination. He says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Illumination has to do with understanding of spiritual truth. You and I have all been in a situation where you sit in a room and someone is speaking the truth and there are people going, yes, amen. And then you have some and they're sitting there going, And there's certain settings when you know you're sitting there as a believer and you know the person next to you does not have ears to hear. They do not understand. You see, understanding comes from who? The Lord, the Spirit gives us understanding. I want you to take your Bibles and go back with me to 1 Corinthians for just a second. I want to show you something. 1 Corinthians this is not a part of my notes. Oh, well. Go back to 1 Corinthians in the second chapter. We don't need to forget this text. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but... Now, here's the contrast. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might do what? Know the things that are freely given to us by God. Who helps us to understand the word? The spirit does. You remember what the Lord told his disciples that he was leaving and that he was going to provide for them a helper of the same kind who would what who would guide them who would teach them who is that the spirit you know what happens in a lot of churches today people are so dependent on pastors and teachers it's just unbelievable they're the only ones that can understand not true not true man if you bought that that's a lie the spirit of the living God is your teacher. He is your, I hear people use this term, he's my primary teacher. He's my secondary teacher. Well, you know what? And it's not the Holy Spirit. It's some person. And I'm going, your primary teacher as a believer is the spirit of the living God. He teaches you. And you know why some people don't have quiet times because, and they're believers is because they're like, I, I need somebody to explain this. I've got really good news for you. The spirit of the living God that is in you will help you to understand. And when you run into a rough patch, you go to people who are more mature and who've been doing what? Who've been studying, who understand. And then there'll be times when even those mature people come to a passage and go, man, I just don't know. Here's so-and-so's view and so-and-so's view and this is where I land. But the spirit of the living God is our teacher. Notice what it says, verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. Oh my goodness, underline that. Not 
words taught by human wisdom, which is coming up in 2 Peter 2. But in those taught by who? The Spirit. Combining spiritual with spiritual. Verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. My friends, listen to me. Do not be surprised at the world's response to the gospel. They don't get it. And they're not going to get it unless the Spirit of God convicts them. Are you listening to me? It's not going to be you. God will use you. He'll use you. Right? Paul even got that. I planted, Apollos watered, God caused the growth. It's the Spirit of God that works in the hearts of men to convict the world of sin, John 16. He does it. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. When it comes to the gospel, people say, you mean all I have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't there something more than that? I got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And that's our culture. Our culture is religion. And our culture is works. And I have to add to the gospel because somehow, someday, when I stand before God, whoever he is, I hope I'm acceptable in his sight. Boy, as you mature in Christ, you realize how foolish that thought is. I don't know about you, but I know about that blunt. And I'm starting to identify with Paul's words, right? Oh, wretched man that I am. Man, Lord, I'm thankful for grace. I deserve hell. For they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Well, Illumination has to do with understanding the sp- of spiritual truth. The Spirit helps us do that. It emphasizes the appropriation of truth. I like what Wayne Barber says here because this is very important. The man who personally appropriates God's word and practically uses it will be comforted. <laughs> you get that? Because there are a lot of people with a lot of knowledge. And there are a lot of people who have understanding who go, yeah, I, I know what that says in Ephesians 5 about being the head of the home. But I'm not going to do it. Husbands, listen to me. I don't know why I'm so on this. I'm reading books. That's why. It is a lie from hell that says your wife is to be the head of your home. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. That's, I didn't make that up. Right? Right? The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. You know why there are so many people who are against that today, even in Christian homes? Well, I, listen, I'm not going to have a dictator. Well, you know what? The Lord doesn't want your husband to be a dictator. In fact, do you know the high calling of a husband is to be, I should ask my, my guys who've gotten married this last year, right? To be the leader who loves and the bar's high. It says Christ loved the church. You know why our culture is such a mess? Because there's so many women trying to lead the home and God never intended it to be that way. Now listen to me, ladies. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. You're just as valuable as your husband. 
Okay, the word's clear about that. But your role is different. Offices of pastors and counselors are filled today with couples who are wandering around and they're lost because the husband's not leading the home. I just wonder how many homes, right, that, that, that come, right, you have this counseling, this scene, and, and they come for counseling. I just wonder how many homes there could be correction if just the man would lead his home. So Wayne Barber says, the man who personally appropriates God's word and practice, practically uses it will be comforted. Well, the Bible tells us that it illumines. The word of God illumines. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It gives me direction. Without it, I'm aimless. Psalm 130, I mean, excuse, yeah, Psalm 119, 130, says the unfolding of thy words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And Peter's saying to these guys, you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The unfolding of thy words, the psalmist says, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Um, and so if it does, then I need to pay attention to it. I need to dig and I need to hide it close to me. Why? Because we live in a dark place. We live in a dark place. You know, Lifeway Research had an interesting survey to come out just this last year or two. And the title of the search was Engaging the Scriptures. And they interviewed over 2,900 Protestant believers and they asked them about their engagement with the Word of God. And this was the findings. 19% say they engage scriptures daily. If you go back and ask those guys, how many of you eat daily? Probably 100%. 26% say a few times a week they engage the Word of God 14% said one time a week. 22% said at least once a month. Oh, that's good. And 18% said rarely or never. You know, when I came away from that survey, all I could think of was how. How you do that? Think about this. Every single day you get up and man, we live in the culture that's like this. We're thinking about what we're going to eat tomorrow, today. Don't we? We live in that kind of culture. See, if I start talking about Milo's, some of you are going to go there right after church. Because everybody goes to Milo's, right? But it is a love-hate relationship. I've taken people there who just absolutely... Any of you hate Milo's? We're praying for you today, all right? Man. What's the hate about Milo's? I mean, drop the onions, drop the pickle, eat the burger, right? Get you that big sweet tea. And, and aren't they really good at this? They got that pie for 99 cents, right? And you do what? You get it. You don't just get one, you get two. Grace allows you to get two. 
right? Or we talk about Mexican food. Rather, by the way, I, I have to change my food analogies because, I mean, I love, I really appreciate the Oreo cookies and, 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 and the Nutter Butters, but I'm like, man, if I change my analogies to go to Milo Burger and steak, I'll be getting that on my desk. <laughs> we plan, don't we? After you eat today, you'll be thinking about what you're gonna eat tonight and what you're gonna eat tomorrow. And I'm like, as I read that research, I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm not a lot different than these people at times in my life. I mean, let's be honest. All of us have been in a rut from time to time. Right? I mean, to admit that's kind of one thing. But Peter told these guys, look, it's important. It's important that you dig into the word that you search the scriptures and he tells them why look at the end of the verse he says pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place and he tells them how long until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts both of those phrases pointing to the to the coming of the lord but notice he says as to a lamp shining in a dark place peter uses this phrase as a metaphor to describe the corrupt world they were living in all right so they were living in a corrupt world but we're in a really great world right right now you have to go back to genesis back to the beginning the bible says there was a time when the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and notice this next phrase and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. And I'm thinking about the world today, and I'm going, man, we're close. And then we have the last days. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me. I'm going to read from the Amplified, but I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. So in the beginning, we have the wickedness of man. And man was destroyed, wasn't he? There was a consequence to that wickedness. What was that consequence? The flood. There'll be a consequence, by the way. One day it's coming. The Bible tells us that the earth is going to be burned up. What it tells us right in this very book. We're going to look at it together. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul defines the condition of the world in the last days. And this is a lot of darkness. Second, I'm going to read from the Amplified. So what the Amplified does is it kind of um, breaks down the words and phrases. So I just want you to listen to this and you can follow along as best as you can in your Bible. But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will set in perilous times of great distress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self. Now we'll just take a quiz as we go along. True or false? True. Okay, good. You're participating, right? Lovers of self. Self-centered. Lovers of money. Yes, aroused by an inordinate 
desire for wealth or greed. Yes. Proud and arrogant. Oh, yes. Right, I like that answer. Oh, yeah, not just yes, but oh, yes. They will be abusive. A term there has the idea of blasphemous. By the way, it doesn't seem like taking the Lord's name in vain today is that big a deal to people. You ever notice that? Just do it. Disobedient to parents. Nah, we're good there, right? Ungrateful. Every time I see that word, I always think about the lepers, the ten lepers. How many came back to give thanks? One. Not a very big percentage, is it? Ungrateful, unholy, profane, without natural affection. (laughs) Oh my goodness, there's a sermon by itself. I know that it's the thing in the culture that we live in today to accept homosexuality. The LGBT community. And while we love the people, we hate the sin. And we hate the sin because God hates the sin. He hates it. But he hates adultery too. (laughs) Right before we get our noses up in there too high. He hates adultery. He hates pride. Those detestable sins in the book of Proverbs 16, you know those. So we have to be careful when reading the list. And young people, listen to me today. I know how it is. Like I said, I've been reading a lot lately about this issue. There's a pressure on you to accept that as okay. And I'm reading a book right now, really, it's, if you just want to, I don't remember the title, but it's really, he's talking about holy behavior, what God expects. Do you know what's happened to our young people? Now, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying it's happened. The sexual part of your life is segmented from your spiritual life. That's what's happened. And do you know I even had that thought and I was reading that book and the dude made the same comment. So I'm not crazy, but I think that's what's happened. That young people today have segmented their sexual life and said, hey, I'm going to do this in my sexual life because I'm free and all that kind of stuff. And even Christian young people. And do you know that over 90% of high school seniors have been involved in some kind of sexual activity? 90%. That's a lot. The pressure is immense. We understand that. But I want to tell you something, guys. Listen to me. Don't buy into the lie of Satan. God has something better for you. He's got it better. Now, you can't unscramble eggs. So I don't know what happened to you yesterday and the weeks and years before, but you can change today. You can change today with the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't buy into that lie. Well, I've got to do this because my friends. No! Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 4. We don't have time for another sermon today. 1 Thessalonians 4, he says it in talking about immorality. 
And we live in an immoral culture. I mean, you think about everything on television today seems somehow, whether they're eating a hamburger or taco, there's some kind of sexual innuendo. Why? To get the attention of young people. Listen to me, parents. I'm saying that graciously. Don't be afraid to talk to your children when it's appropriate about what God ordained. (laughs) I remember having the boys thinking, man, when's that question coming? You know what question I'm talking about. And I remember the questions that came. And I remember, (laughs) I remember Teresa's response. Sorry, honey. But I remember this response. She said, honey, what are you going to do? You know what I did? Open the word. Hey, guys, there's nothing wrong with sex. But in the context of marriage, and it's between a man and a woman. And that's it. That's all God gave permission for. Everything outside of that is sin against God. I didn't plan on saying any of that today. (laughs) All right, verse 3. They will be without natural affection, relentless, admitting of no truce. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate, loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled, fierce, haters of good. By the way, I thought, when are we going to get to that haters of good? It's here. It's here. They will be treacherous, rash, inflated with self-conceit, lovers of sensual pleasures. Notice how much of these have to do with sex. And vain amusements more than rather lovers of God. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because if you just took that one element, sexual activity there is gratification for that long and then it's gone lovers of God guys listen to me as you're digging and you're in the word every day and you're taking it in and you are getting closer and closer to your maker and the one that saved you there is no fulfillment like that None. None. God made us so that we would be intimate with Him. Last verse. For they hold a form of religion. They deny and reject the power of it. Their conduct Bellies is what they use. Bellies, the genius of their profession. Avoid all such people as they turn away from them. Dark days, dark days. Peter knew it. In the context of 2 Peter, he's going to get into describing these guys that are false teachers that are part of this darkness. Well, I have in your outline man's condition. Man's condition, if you go back to John 3, we're running out of time. John 3 tells you about man's condition. He loves what? 
He loves darkness rather than the light. He gravitates to the darkness. If something benefits you, well, you're more prone to do it, right? That's just human nature. So if this benefits me, I'm going to do it. If this doesn't benefit me, I'm not going to do it. Hey, guys, I want to tell you something. The Bible tells us that the word of God does not return void. It is going to benefit you. And it's going to benefit those people around you. You ever heard of Sir Walter Scott? He was a famous British novelist and poet. But he was also a committed Christian. And on his deathbed, Scott requested a book from his assistant. He says to his assistant, bring me the book. And his assistant thought about it and looked at the thousands of volumes and and said to Scott, what book? Dr. Scott replied, the only book for a dying man. And I would add to that, it's the only book for a living man. Listen to me, guys. Peter loved these folks so much, he wanted them to grow. And they didn't experience what he did. And Peter saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as it would be. They didn't have that benefit. But what Peter tells them is that they had the more sure prophetic word. And he said, you need to pay attention to it because you're living in a dark place and the message is the same today. We need to pay attention to the word of God. It gives us light. It gives us a track to run on. Let us not be so arrogant, Lord, to think that we don't need your word on a daily basis. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word and there's just so much here to consider. Um, It seems to me from your word that from what I can understand... Lord, you created us to have fellowship with you. You want that. You desire that. If we have relationship with you, Lord, if we're saved, I pray that you would help us by your spirit to want to eat your word daily just as we're never gonna say hey I don't want this to eat or that to eat we're gonna eat we're just a eating culture that's what we are Lord I pray we would have that insatiable desire to eat your word to take your word in every day I mean Peter telling them this because they're being inundated with these false teachers just like there were false prophets in the day of old. And we live in that culture today where lies from hell are being told by many. 
Lord, can I just ask you, I beg of you today, Lord, that as husbands and fathers, we would lead our homes because that's what you want. And that, Lord, um, just as you discipline us because you love us, I pray that fathers would know that your word teaches about disciplining the children. Um, it seems to me, and just my observation, that children tend to run a lot of things today. And I pray, Lord, that the fathers would reclaim their homes. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would have a desire every day to seek you through your word. And as your spirit teaches us, Lord, that we would use these things that we learn so that change will come about. And we know, Lord, that your spirit's doing that in us. And I pray that we would yield to him each and every day. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and powerful and always at work in us to make us more like you. So we give you glory and we give you praise. And as we close today with song, I pray you would bear it upon our minds, the things that we need to take from what we've heard from you today. In Christ's name, amen.